john johnston of sault st marie a passage in canadian history by william kingsford ottawa this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit LibriVox.org. there are many facts that have a bearing upon history which should be preserved by those who learn them for what is history but a generalization of several minor narratives turned into one main line of record there is much in the lives of even the most commonplace which is useful under this aspect and if care be taken in obtaining the facts correctly when these several records are grouped together we have the means of honestly representing a past condition of events and so profiting by their teaching there is no particular lesson to be learned in the career of mr johnston useful and honourable as it was but there is much in the opinion of the writer worth perpetuating he has accordingly thrown together the short narrative which follows from papers placed in his hands which he believes contain only what is well founded and true he trusts that it may obtain attention and be held of value by those who may read it it may be a slight but it is certainly a positive contribution to history as setting forth the early settlement of the town of sault st marie and being the forerunner of its present characteristic as a depot of indian trade it was only a few years ago that it was the ultima thule of civilization the red river settlement established by lord selkirk in eighteen twenty one was far removed from the sioux indeed at that date it was supplied as a rule from the north by way of york on hudson bay and the nelson river the old canoe route by the kaminstaquia to the height of land and by the lakes shabandoan and kashabwe and crossing the watershed by the waters which led to rainy lake and the lake of the woods this route was known but was not used as the ordinary means of communication with fort garry now winnipeg for canada the sault st marie was until the last few years the end of civilization and we proceed to give the life of one of its principal founders mr john johnston was born in the north of ireland of a family of high respectability he held in his own right the estate of craig near coleraine not far from the giant's causeway his father a civil engineer planned and executed the waterworks at belfast his mother was the sister of lady mary sarin wife of bishop sarin bishop of dromore her brother being at the time attorney-general of ireland we cannot tell the precise period of his birth but he was a young man when in seventeen ninety public attention in england was strongly directed to canada in seventeen seventy four what is known as the quebec acts were passed by the imperial parliament one established the province of quebec with a constitution and a form of government the second dealt with the revenue and means of meeting its expenses in the intervening period between the conquest and this date the country had been governed in accordance with a letter of the royal proclamation and some anxiety was felt as to its scope and power the english settler required english liberty the french canadian except with some rare exceptions was literally without ideas of political freedom and his own personal life was so trammelled that restraint was to him a normal condition of being he looked with extreme suspicion on any change 
and however much he felt the onerous nature of his old government the distrust that he felt with regard to the new order of things led him to look with disfavour on the changes which had only in view the common advancement and prosperity of the whole people the english settler on the other hand desired a continuance of the political liberty imperfect as it was viewed by modern theories which he held as his birthright in criminal law there was little divergence of thought the french canadian early saw the fairer and more liberal nature of the new system even with its imperfections of that time in the laws of property and government there was no concord in the meantime the american revolution had commenced and ended with the loss of the old colonies the quebec act therefore was looked upon unfavorably and in seventeen ninety one the canada act was passed which divided the provinces into upper and lower canada and remained in operation half a century lord dorchester was the governor and no less a person than the duke of kent then colonel of the seventh fusiliers arrived in quebec in august of that year as ninety years later we speak of the gracious and honored lady now amongst us as the princess her grandfather was at that date the prince doing his duty as an officer of the garrison no doubt a great impulse was given at home to any proposition to emigrate to canada mr johnston was somewhere about twenty-one when the events we sketch were occurring and doubtless they had no little influence on his life for in seventeen ninety two he arrived in the country he was the bearer of letters of introduction to lord dorchester and became his guest and thus obtained a passport into the best society of the place it was under these favorable auspices that he became acquainted with some of the leading members of the northwest company and he received an invitation from them to visit their headquarters in montreal these were the halcyon days of the northwest company the fur trade had completely recovered from the blow it received at the conquest until seventeen fifty five or so the west had been greatly under the control of the french in canada and the succeeding wars and the reverses which changed the fate of french canada had caused it to languish after the conquest it fell into british hands and for a time became greatly narrowed the indians had been taught to look with suspicion on the british their sympathies were entirely french and hence they were disinclined to enter into new arrangements with the newcomers in a few years after the establishment of the new order of things the trade had re-established itself it was however more the proceeding of individual effort than of an organized company there were to be met accordingly all the artifices of competition according to the scruples of those who practised them there was the usual effort of traders to outbid each other liquor which the french prohibited had been introduced to the ruin of the indian the scenes which took place after the frequent orgies were marked by all the repellent features which accompanied besotted and quarrelsome drunkenness and in addition to this dark condition of the traffic feuds broke out when rival traders met ending not unfrequently in bloodshed two parties representing opposite interests crossing a common path each had to trade in the heart of the wilderness where law was unknown power fell often to those who in a pitched fight proved the strongest to end a condition of affairs which even in its commercial aspect threatened only ruin 
some merchants of montreal in seventeen eighty three entered into a partnership a few years after some of these partnerships were extended and in seventeen eighty seven the celebrated northwest company was formed it then consisted of twenty-three partners but its staff of agents factors clerks guides interpreters and voyageurs amounted to two thousand persons the heads of this company were in full ascendancy when mr johnston reached canada they affected a profuse hospitality not merely aided by large resources but they endeavored to mark it by refinement and elegance their entertainments were alluded to by washington irving who as yet a stripling youth sat at the hospitable boards of the mighty northwesters the lords of the ascendant at montreal and gazed with wondering and inexperienced eye at the baronial wassailing and listened with astonished ear to their talks of hardships and distress the names of the mctavishes mcgilvries and the mackenzies are still remembered and representatives of their families are constantly to be met in those days the leading partners of the great northwest were among the magnets of society and it was in this entourage that mr johnston was thrown when he had to determine the course of his future life it was under this influence that his mind was excited by the descriptions given of the indian trade and he imagined that he saw in its lucrative enterprises a field for his exertions he accordingly determined to visit sault st marie a journey of a very different character to that taken by the modern traveller the trader from montreal nowadays reaches sarnia in twenty-four hours and taking a beady steamer reaches the sioux by nightfall that is to say he makes the sioux in seventy-two hours at that date the ottawa was the channel of communication the present generation see little realism in moore's boat song of row brothers row but at the date we speak of it described a well-known phase of voyageur life st anne's rapid now spanned by the grand trunk bridge was the first rapid met by the expedition on leaving lachine the course taken was to follow the ottawa to the matawan which was ascended to its source where the waters falling into lake huron were followed and the passage to the sioux was then made in quiet water the journey took several weeks arrived at lake superior mr johnston commenced prospecting for a habitation he finally selected la pointe on the south shore of lake superior and he determined to establish himself there to purchase furs and to pay for them by goods he obtained his supplies at montreal from the mercantile houses there among whom the then well-known hebrew firm of david davids and company prominently figured and he had settled himself down in this wilderness to live an indian life to trade in what the region produced and to reap some of those profits which had so fired his imagination the indian chief who was all-powerful in this region was named wabaji the white fisher his power extended by all accounts down to the falls of st anthony on the mississippi his wigwam was then at la pointe as the fairy tale says this chief had one lovely daughter oshagushkadakwa the woman of the green mountain and as a matter of course the trader saw and loved mr johnston found doubtless the solitude of his life not always pleasant he had been accustomed to society and hence he sighed for companionship 
one fact however is evident he was not looked upon as a jeune homme en mari we can find here no trace of mature feminine scheming to obtain a bon parti we leave out of sight the history of the courtship but there can be little doubt that when the indian chief received the proposition of the newcomer he looked upon it with some suspicion the tradition is preserved in the family that the old chief recalled the fact that many white traders had visited the west and obtained young squaws as their wives and had often deserted them and their children leaving the whole behind or brought them to civilization to treat them with cruelty and disregard steele's exquisitely told tale in the spectator of inkle and Yoris, we fear has many a prototype we have lying before us a speech of the chief which we are assured has been preserved in the family and is considered in every sense genuine young man you have come across the great salt lake and found your way to my country you have told us that it is your intention to remain here and to open an honorable trade with us giving us such goods as we require in exchange for our furs you further say that you intend to enlarge your trade and to enable you to do so you will visit your native land and carry out your intentions during your absence i will think over your proposal for my daughter and if when you return you are in the same mind i will then decide as to your marriage accordingly there was no alternative but patience mr johnston left la pointe and returned to ireland he sold his estate of craig and with the money he received increased his operations a year elapsed before he was back at lake superior when his offer of marriage was again urged the chief it would seem held that there was proof sufficient of fidelity and his consent was given the lady with the difficult name became mrs johnston bringing with her all the traditions of her ancient indian lineage and birth and there is every reason to think that no one of the parties whose happiness was dependent on this connection ever looked upon it but with fondness and trust wabaji the indian chief in question was a man of no ordinary character like most of his race his feelings and sympathies were with the french the influence obtained by the french was remarkable but it can be explained the jesuit priest on one hand went amongst them and taught them a religion adapted to their intellect it was accompanied by a pageantry which the indian love of display could appreciate the objective side of roman catholicism in its ceremonies and rites must always be powerful to take the imagination of those who required to be led and controlled while the philosophic arguments of protestants exact seriousness sobriety of thought and reflection to master and to accept we can account for the success of messieurs moody and sankey by the appeal to the imagination and feeling and by inculcating the necessity of earnest prayer as something tangible and plain and of making imperative the duty of singing as an act of worship hymns which partake much of the character of the music hall a man will make an effort for his religion of this kind which really involves little abnegation and self-sacrifice and he is easily cheated into the belief that he is religious and devout that religion which makes unselfish duty to your neighbor and forgiveness of injury a primary principle must often appear too abstract and impossible and too little emotional 
the jesuit by the contrary course obtained the full confidence of the tribes whom he placed in subjection to his rule there was another element in the popularity of the french the coureur de bois became in most cases a part of indian life he married a squaw and adopted the customs of the people he sunk to their level and assumed their habits the english traders on the other hand were it is feared more frequently guilty of conduct which awoke the chief's suspicion when his daughter was asked in marriage news in those days travelled slowly but nevertheless they did travel and the report reached wabaji that his old friends and allies were sorely pressed by the bastonnais before quebec his duty was plain to him he summoned his braves and prepared without delay to go to the assistance of his old friends and allies he started and reached quebec to take part in the final struggle and to see their power forever broken thirty years had passed since that date and he had learned in the interval to accept the new order of things mr johnston's life passed quietly on he found the sioux better adapted for his operations and accordingly he moved there and established the trade which has since increased to make the sioux the favorite place it now is he lived there in a free hospitable way his life was happy he had in the course of time eight children and his own leisure and what aid he could obtain were given to the education of his four sons and four daughters he was a justice of the peace and he was living a useful patriarchal life when the war of eighteen twelve broke out one of the earliest plans which the genius of brock had conceived was the taking of michamillimackinac this post which is situated in the straits of mackinaw on the north of the great peninsula dividing lake huron and mackinaw had been held during the war of independence by an english garrison and on the establishment of the boundary was surrendered to the united states the fort was one of importance for before the days of steam it commanded the entrance into lake michigan on its transfer a military post had been established on the canadian island of st joseph over fifty miles to the northeast without delay when war was declared brock directed captain roberts who was the commandant at st joseph to take possession of michamillimackinac on receiving his instructions roberts started the following morning and the place which was feebly garrisoned capitulated without a blow the surrender of detroit by the americans on august sixteenth eighteen twelve made an effort to retake it impossible but in eighteen fourteen the united states fitted out an expedition to regain it but the station had been reinforced by the way of natawasaga in may the garrison was even able to be aggressive and a detachment was detailed for the purpose of attacking prairie du chaine on the mississippi which was taken and the gunboat which lay there was forced to descend the stream mackinaw was too important a position for the united states to have in an enemy's possession and a force under the command of lieutenant colonel grogan was sent to retake it an event which had the most disastrous effect on mr johnston's fortunes colonel mcdowell who commanded the british garrison felt that he had no ordinary task before him and accordingly sent to mr johnston an urgent appeal for assistance the distance from st joseph's to the sioux is but trifling and in quiet water is passed over by a canoe in a few hours colonel mcdowell's appeal to mr johnston was to bring with him all the men at his command and at this season he had a large force 
devoted to the mother country to his mind there was only one course to which honour and duty pointed he called his men together about one hundred as rapidly as possible provisioned them and armed them at his own cost and embarking on two large bateaux proceeded to michamillimackinac the american commandant no doubt fearing a proceeding of this character or having received intelligence of the reinforcement dispatched two armed gunboats with a force under major holmes to intercept it there are two channels to the sioux one now followed which passes by the nebish rapids and lake george bound on the east by sugar island and the st mary's river the second channel leaves the sioux and passes to the west of sugar island by hay and mud lakes whatever the cause the united states gunboats failed to intercept the relief it is no unfair inference that johnston's prudence suggested to him to take the more difficult and less known route to the men of his party a matter of little moment to the united states commander it was a serious necessity to follow the known channel mr johnston took with him his second son george and arrived safely at mackinaw his eldest son a lieutenant in the navy was then a prisoner at cincinnati the united states expedition proceeded to the sioux there was no force to oppose them the powerless women and children could only look on while major holmes plundered johnston hall as there was no fighting there was loot the memorandum placed in the hands of the writer runs to the effect that major holmes and his men took everything of value plate linen and wearing apparel and plentifully supplied themselves with provisions they tore up the floor to see what articles of value were concealed the stores were filled with goods for distribution among the indians many of the bales not having been opened everything that was possible to put on board the gunboats was placed there there was cloth of a finer description its ultimate destination was the united states flagship niagara where it was divided amongst the officers and men on the arrival of the force mrs johnston and her children fled to the woods she remained there while the enemy was in possession of the property supporting herself on roots and what she could obtain christie in his history relates that many of the buildings were reduced to ashes mcmullen tells us that in this raid where there was not a single military man all the horses and cattle were killed and the provisions and garden stuff which could not be removed destroyed major holmes returned to join in the assault it was made on the fourth of august but it ignominiously failed the expedition re-embarking leaving seventeen men dead on the shore among them major holmes his sword was taken from his side and presented to the second son of the unprotected household he had plundered the danger at michamillimackinac over mr johnston returned to the wreck of his property his loss was considerable his trade had been extensive and his private means which were sufficiently ample had obtained for him much of the luxury which refined wealth can command in a few hours the whole had been irretrievably destroyed it was useless however to count the cost the duty of the hour was to repair the injury mr johnston was in no way unequal to the occasion with his old energy and ability he commenced his business but the check it received and the competition which arose prevented it ever again taking its old form or attaining its former extent at the close of the war mr johnston applied for compensation for his losses which must have been very heavy 
he himself estimated his loss at many thousands of pounds these war losses were one of the vexed questions of the day and remained the source of trouble for years it was mr johnston's fortune never to obtain recognition he received nothing there is little doubt that this treatment preyed on his mind and impaired his health his nature was exceedingly sensitive and he could not but feel the ill requital of his services and the injustice with which his claim for indemnity had been received but his usefulness was not yet a thing of the past we cannot enter here into the difficulties which existed between the two rival companies of the northwest and the hudson's bay company but when an amicable arrangement was made he acted as a commissioner in adjustment of the points in dispute and greatly aided in the settlement secured in eighteen twenty one when a coalition of the two companies was effected he returned to toronto then york where he was the guest of the lieutenant governor sir peregrine maitland subsequently with mrs johnston he revisited the mother country and his eldest daughter jane a young girl of surpassing beauty and of great sweetness of disposition then twelve years of age accompanied him in england both the duke and duchess of northumberland were so charmed with her that they desired to adopt her and make her their heir mr johnston did not feel justified in accepting their offer after a year's residence he returned to canada with his family against the wishes of his friends who were desirous that his daughter should remain to complete her education but he felt that her fortunes were in canada and hence that her presence was called for there mr johnston was always a man of strong religious convictions so far as in him lay he had given a sound education to his children and the sunday had been observed at the sioux by such observances as he could command he himself generally reading the service of the church of england and a sermon or homily and his room was open to all who saw fit to attend when in england he engaged a clergyman to come out with him but at quebec the new incumbent of sault st marie heard such accounts of what was then the far west that he declined to proceed there mr johnston had himself to carry on the duty of assembling with his family all who were willing to attend such ministrations as he could give he was a man of sincere piety and of unblemished life and well educated he continued his course of duty till his death which occurred in eighteen twenty eight after an attack of typhoid fever the family tradition is that the treatment he received on the conclusion of the war permanently affected his health and strength of his children lewis the eldest son held the appointment of lieutenant in the navy and served on board the queen charlotte at the period of the defeat of the british squadron by commodore perry in which he was seriously wounded he was taken prisoner and sent to cincinnati where with several others he received severe treatment his family assert that from this he never recovered after the war he held an appointment in the indian department till his death he was buried at amherstburg with military honors the eldest daughter jane already spoken of as attracting great attention in england became the wife of henry rowe schoolcraft the united states indian agent at sault st marie known as the author of the history of the indians of north america published by the united states government the immense cost of this publication six hundred and fifty thousand dollars attracted considerable attention at the time but the book is a valuable addition to indian archaeology 
mrs schoolcraft was a woman of culture some of her fugitive poems being of a high order the second daughter eliza now seventy-eight years of age never married we believe and is still living at the sioux the third daughter married archdeacon mcmurray of niagara at the time of her marriage september eighteen thirty three her husband was missionary to the indians on the north shores of lakes huron and superior being the first clergyman who performed that duty she died at niagara in january eighteen seventy eight maria the youngest daughter married james lawrence schoolcraft brother of her elder sister's husband both are dead the three sons of mr johnston have also passed away excepting john mcdowell johnston who resides at the sioux on the american shore end of john johnston of sioux st marie a passage in canadian history by william kingsford ottawa read by phil schampf